Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb Barrett. Today's message is from Good Friday, where I preached a message entitled, The Curtain Was Torn. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the... And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out from the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, And what had taken place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Thanks be to God. It is amazing as we read these accounts. It is part of why I think observing all of Holy Week is so important. It's so easy to just brush off what Christ did as part of our faith, and it's just another, it's another thing that we talk about. But when we really read these portions and think about them, meditate them through Holy Week, and recognize the triumphant entry and look at what that was, and look at Maudie Thursday and what that, the Last Supper was, and look at Good Friday and what that was, I think it really shows us a lot more about who Christ was and what this sacrifice actually was. <clears throat> All of these passages that go from the, the, that first Sunday to Friday are extremely impactful. But this one, this has an element that I always have focused on during Good Friday services, during times that I look at this. But before we look at exactly um, what this passage is telling us and what that element in particular is, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that although we're in strange circumstances and strange times that we're still able to worship together and have this service, even though it may not look like the the cantata we had been planning, that we're still able to worship you in reading of your scripture and uh, through through music nonetheless. We thank you that we're able to do this. We thank you that we have this technology and we thank you we have the ability to do it. We just ask that in this time, as we have been worshiping your name in these different ways, that these words that I will be speaking will be done to glorify you, that your truth is heard above mine, that I am able to show your truth to all of those who hear. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. There's a lot of interesting things in this passage. The passage that I read um, in Matthew 27. Like I said, I'm going to look at a couple different things, but I'm going to focus on one aspect in particular. 
but one of the first things that might catch you is Eli, 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 Lema Sabatini. Why is the by far vast majority of scripture translated, but this phrase isn't? Well, it's because Christ spoke Aramaic. And so there are certain aspects that the disciples quoted him exactly because of its significance and it also helps us to understand what they were talking about afterward if we just read my god my god why have you forsaken me we wouldn't understand the aspect of him calling out for elijah with eli eli now obviously we know that he wasn't calling out for elijah but the reason why i point this out is that all of those that were there all of the jews that were there would have known should have known what he was saying This isn't just something out of nowhere. In fact, Christ here is quoting Psalm 22, verse 2. He did it intentionally. Everyone there should have heard it and known exactly what he was saying. But their eyes were blinded. They were blinded by so many things. They were blinded by hate. They were blinded by sinful natures. They were blinded to not see who the Son of God was. And maybe some of them were starting to doubt what they were doing, but they were too invested in it, so they just kind of ignored what was going on. Well, he must be calling for Elijah. Let's just ignore this and not worry about it. But they, regardless, they missed what was happening. But then, uh, so we know he was calling out in anguish. Now, if you look at certain paintings of Christ on the cross, you'll see that there's almost no emotion. It almost looks like he's bored. And that's because one time in the church, there was a belief that he was God, so he obviously couldn't feel pain. But that's, that's missing literally the whole point of his incarnation. He came to live as a man. He was fully man and fully God. In being fully man, we see things like he was hungry. He was tired. He ate and slept but he could also feel pain. We know that this wasn't just a ritual he was doing to fulfill this need. He was in anguish on the cross, and he cried out in that anguish. But once the time had come, he yielded his spirit. He cried with a loud voice and yielded it. Now, I think this is another important thing for us to look at. He didn't die. They didn't finish him. He gave up his spirit. He yielded his spirit. Now this is partially important to know because he is nonetheless God. He is the all-powerful. He's still in control as he dies on that cross. He's asked by the criminal on the cross, if you're the Christ, why don't you let us down? Other people mock him and say, well, if you're God, then get down. If you're the Son of God, where is he? Why isn't he helping you? Well, the answer is he could have. But he didn't because he was there as the perfect Passover sacrifice for us, for his people. But when we talk about God, I think we miss how lower we are than God. I was talking to someone today and he said that when we look at man, we're down here and God is all the way up here. But often in our culture, we kind of want to bring it in. Now, we were talking about sin and holiness in that aspect, but it's also in power. We think God has a little bit more power than us, but no, he's not just more powerful. 
He is the most powerful. I've heard it described in books and elsewhere. God's power, if we think about the power of a volcano, the power of a tsunami, the power of a hurricane, God's power makes those look like nothing. So when he died, some of that power was let out. The earth shook. We see places that say that all nature worships God. At the moment of his death, the earth cried out in anguish. There were earthquakes. Rocks cracked. They broke. The dead were raised. And they went in to be seen. But then the one aspect that I'm focusing on is that the curtain was torn. Now, I focus on that because of what that curtain is. When we don't understand what the curtain is, it just seems like another thing that happened. It seemed like with all of the commotion, with all of the the shifting rocks and earthquakes, that it just broke. But that's not what happened. To understand what really happened, we need to look at the Old Testament. We need to understand what that curtain truly was. So in the temple and in the tabernacle, once you get from the outer court into the holy place, where the, the, the different furniture for the, the, the priests used in their times of worship, there was still another place. There was the holy of holies, and this was the dwelling place of God. Now we know God is everywhere. God is infinite. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But he can appear in different ways in different places. We know that the Spirit indwells all of us. It's a different indwelling. He is, again, everywhere, but he indwells us in a special way. In the same way, his presence was made known in that space in a different way. And in fact, the, the piece of furniture in there was the Ark of the Covenant. It had to be made in a certain way. It contained very specific things. And that was the, the, the throne of God. It represented the throne of God. If you walked in there, that's what you would see physically. But to know what it looked like spiritually, we would look somewhere like Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And in that room, only one priest once a year was allowed to go. And he went in there to make the sacrifice for the people on a specific holy day. And it said that uh, a rope was tied around his ankle and there would be bells on his shoes. So as he walked in, they would know if he was struck dead. And that was because they didn't know the person's heart. They assumed that he was good because he's a priest, but only God knows. So if he was struck dead, they would be able to pull him out. But that curtain wasn't to protect God from sin. It was to protect us from his holiness. It was a representation of that separation between sinful man and pure God. But it wasn't just a representation. It did protect us from the presence of God. And I say us, obviously, I wasn't there. But it protected fallen man from his presence. Now, we want to be in the presence of God, but in that time, you had to make all sorts of sacrifices to get that close. But on Good Friday, we remember the one true sacrifice, 
that Christ, the Lamb who was slain, he was slain for us. We see this foreshadowed all throughout the Old Testament, even from the time of Abraham. And in this sacrifice, in this perfect moment, the curtain was torn. That divide was destroyed. Now, we could never do that ourselves. Now, there, there's an evangelistic um, tool that's used called the bridge, and it, it's basically you, you draw God's over here, we're over here, but there's this divide in between, but Christ is that bridge. Well, that moment is when Christ became that bridge. That division that was shown by the curtain was torn. It didn't just, again, break. It was torn from top to bottom. It was as if the hands of God reached down, grabbed it, and tore it. And he tore it to show, if you have faith in my son, that divide is gone. You can come before me. You don't need to make these sacrifices anymore. You don't need the priest to go before you to make these uh, acts of worship for you. You can now come before me and worship. We see these promises all throughout the Gospels as well. We know this is going to happen through Christ's uh, messages. We see this with the woman at the well. There will come a time when, we'll be, when you'll worship God anywhere, that it won't have to be at the temple. And we know that this is that moment, that that time has come, that we are able to worship God. Now that's completed later. But this is the moment. This is the moment where he cried out, it is finished. It's not just that he was finished. It's not... The world may say he is finished, he died. No, he said it is finished. That his job was completed. We can think about the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But I remember R.C. Sproul's response to that question, which is, there's only one time it happened and he did it willingly. We know that Christ went willingly to die on that cross. He knew it was going to happen from the triumphant entry. As he entered, he knew that he was on his way to his death. But he did it willingly. The only good man, perfect man, fully man and fully God, to die on that cross that we may live. Now, in seeing this reaction and seeing everything that happened, the centurion and all of those around had nothing but to say than this truly was the Son of God. Now, we need to have that reaction. As we remember these things, we need to use it. We need to use that passion for the gospel to go out and share it with others. We need to not just hold it for ourselves. Now, we may not be able to go out like we normally do, but we still can share the gospel in many different ways. And we need to use this moment. We need to remember what we're worshiping in this time, that we're here celebrating the death of Christ. Now, obviously, it's not something that I say celebrate lightly. It's not something that's a fun celebration. We celebrate because we know what it did for us. Not that Christ died, but the result of it. But we should use this time of celebration to go out and share it with others. We need to share with others that Christ chose to die on that cross for all who accept his name. So as we go through the rest of this evening and into 
the remainder of Holy Week. We need to remember that Christ is our living hope. We need to remember that while on Thursday he was betrayed and on Friday he was killed, Sunday is coming. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this message. I pray that it was a blessing for you. If you have any questions or comments about this message or any others, please email us at pastor at mbaptist.org and just put podcast or narratives of grace in the subject line. For prayer requests, please email us at prayer at mbaptist.org because we want to be praying with you over everything big and small. If you want it to stay between the pastors or go out to the congregation, just mention that in the email. For more information on Mililani Baptist Church, please visit our website, mbaptist.org, and follow us on social media and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today.